0: The Lord be with you and also with you. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and worship God upon the holy mountain. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcasts. Please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we gather for the transfiguration of our Lord with our special guest preacher, Mr. William Courts. Bill has led Bible study at Marsh Chapel since 2017. He is also the husband of Marsh Chapel staff coordinator, Heidi freemanus kortz whom he met here at Marsh when both of them were undergraduates back in 2006. Bill is a graduate of the BU College of Arts and Sciences and BU School of Theology. He has been an active member of Newton Highlands Congregational Church in Newton, Massachusetts since 2008, and is currently an approved candidate for ordination in the United Church of Christ. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love, which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God. Let us pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God. May the Lord, who has begun this good work in us, bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. we confess our sins, God, who is faithful, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, "'Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called called Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: A lesson from the second epistle of Peter, chapter one, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 99 with the Antiphon. Is king, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all the peoples. Let him praise your great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstep. Holy is the Lord. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was also among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and his statutes. O Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving guide to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain. Surely.
4: Holy Gospel according to Saint Matthew, chapter 17, verses one through nine. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
5: Be seated. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, and a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, which every year in the church calendar marks the conclusion of the liturgical season of Epiphany. Epiphany is often called the season of light. And so it's fitting that each year it concludes with this story of Jesus transformed into a vision of light and glory, his face like the sun and his clothes like light. Uh, the Greek word where we get the word epiphany is epiphania, and in ancient Greek religion, it referred to the manifestation or the appearance of a god. It comes from the word phano, which means to shine or figuratively to come to light. And phano comes from phos, which means light. So in its classical sense, epiphany implies that something glorious but invisible, like a god, has suddenly shined forth to be revealed. And that's what the story of the Transfiguration is. Jesus's divinity, something ordinarily concealed from sight during his earthly ministry, shines forth all of a sudden for the disciples to see. And now we might think that this is the episode that convinces the disciples that Jesus is the divine Messiah, right? But they actually already knew that. This helps confirm the belief for them, definitely, but they would already seen you know, a great deal from Jesus. He healed the sick and raised the dead and he walks on water. and. In the chapter right before the one with the transfiguration, we find that they were already convinced that he was the Messiah. Jesus had asked them in the prior chapter, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, back to life. Some people say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so they know that he's the Christ already, right? And there's earlier clues in the Gospel we could say that they've probably been convinced of this for some time. It's not always the case that faith comes all at once as a result of some single event. sometimes that is the case. But for the most part, for most people, faith comes about slowly and gradually. It accrues as a result of many experiences and insights And sometimes it takes root imperceivably in the soul before we even realize it ourselves. And yet, even a faith like that is from God. It's just as revealed as any epiphany. When Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus doesn't even ask him how he knows it. He doesn't say, well, what makes you say that, Peter? He tells Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven." So faith is a gift and a revelation, no matter if it comes about quickly, all at once, or whether it develops slowly and gradually over the course of a long faith journey. And there's another thing to recognize on the basis of Peter's confession of faith. Having faith that Jesus is the Messiah, having that conviction that he is the Son of God, is not the end of the faith journey. Peter might have thought it was at the time. You know, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And he tells him, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So Peter's probably feeling pretty good, you know, like he's arrived. He got the revelation. He believes, he is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, whom God has revealed him to be. So now let's get on and build that church, you know. But Peter doesn't realize at that point how much he still has to learn. Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but we find out he doesn't really understand what that means. And as though to drive that point home, the very next passage tells us that shortly after Peter's confession, Jesus starts telling the disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem, and there he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and he's going to suffer and he's going to be killed. And on the third day, he'll rise again. Peter hears this about going off to die. And he says, God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter knows that Jesus is the Christ. But when he hears about him suffering and dying, he doesn't understand it and he won't accept it. Because it doesn't line up with his conception of what the Messiah is supposed to do, or his understanding of what life, death, and glory really are. People expected that when the Messiah came, he would put the world to rights. He'd kick out the Romans, he'd get rid of the corrupt priests in the temple, uh, he'd get rid of the evil powers that be, and he would reign as a king on earth in glory. And the disciples have seen what Jesus is able to do. And they're thinking, this is going to be easy. Looking forward, they can see the uninterrupted path to victory and glory. And to them, the death that Jesus is talking about it sounds like an absolute end to all of that. The part about rising from the dead doesn't even seem to register with Peter. All he seems to hear is the message of defeat and of his hopes and aspirations destroyed. But Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on human things. Peter already knew that Jesus was the Christ, but he didn't understand what that meant. And when he heard it, he couldn't accept it because it didn't match up with his finite human conceptions of power, victory, and glory on the one hand, and of the finality of death on the other. Faith is a journey, and the journey of faith doesn't stop just because we may have come to a point of belief or conviction. And if we think it does, if we think that we've arrived with that, we risk becoming a hindrance. Imagining that we know God and the things of God better than we really do, imagining that somehow God's infinite power and purpose are going to exist in easy conformity with our own limited human views of life and the world. Peter believed in Jesus and he knew that he was divine, but it's as though he had never really considered the full weight of what that meant. And so Jesus shows him. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John up onto the high mountaintop. And he gives them a glimpse, a brief taste of the reality of the meaning behind what he had been saying. What does it mean that the Son of God is one with the Father? Intellectually, we can't say what that means. But here the disciples are given a glimpse in visual terms of the reality of it. There is Jesus, radiating the glory and the splendor that was said to have descended on Mount Sinai in the Exodus, seeing the majesty that Ezekiel saw in his vision of God on the throne. Now, nobody saw what was up there when the glory descended on the mountain. Only Moses went up, and he never saw the face of God. And Ezekiel never saw the face of the figure seated on the throne. But here he is revealed, one whose face shines like the sun, Uh, who is clothed with splendor and majesty, which is how God is described in Psalm 104, wrapped in light as with a garment. And it's Jesus. And who's there with him? Moses and Elijah, the two people in the Old Testament who are said to have spoken with God on a mountaintop. And the one they spoke to back then is the same one they're speaking to here. The firstborn of all creation, the visible image of the invisible God, in whom all things in heaven and earth were made, in whom all things hold together. He is the radiance of God's glory, the Bible says, the exact imprint of the divine nature, who upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. The disciples don't understand this. But they see it. They see his glory. glorious of the Father's only Son. And there are two points I'd like to make about this. The first is this. The kind of perspective that the disciples are granted on the mountaintop, the, the taste, the sensation of an infinite, glorious God, is needed to temper and overcome the limited human conceptions of life and death that hold us in bondage to fear and hopelessness. Peter could not accept that the Messiah was going to suffer and die, because to him it seemed like an utter defeat, a fearful, hopeless end. What Jesus said about rising from the dead is an afterthought to Peter, he doesn't even hear it. And no matter how faithful we are, we face times when the future can seem hopeless, when the specter of defeat and finitude looms large on the horizon. And at times like that, we can't stay trapped in that finite human perspective. We need to let Jesus lead us up the mountain so that we can get that glimpse of a God who makes a way where there is no way. God for whom all things are possible, who is greater than death, greater than anything in the world. We need to have that perspective in our minds in order to struggle through the finite, in order to take up our cross and follow Jesus, which is what he says to do. We need to have the brightness of that mountaintop view in mind when we go down into the valley again. That's the first point. The second point is this. The mountaintop is not the end of the journey for the disciples. The journey of faith didn't end with the conviction, and it doesn't end here either. Now, they kind of seem to think it does, that, this is, uh, that now they have arrived. Uh, after a little while, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, let us build you know, three tabernacles, little tents or shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. As though the journey's done. We're here. We're in the holy place. We're going to stay here for a while. We're going to dwell here but well, they have to go back down the mountain, they have to take up the cross. It's questionable how much at the time the disciples actually learned from the vision. Later on, they look back after the resurrection and the meaning of the experience becomes clearer, but they're not at that point yet. And here, they seem to think that this brief glimpse they've been given of the divine light and glory, is brief insight or epiphany is somehow the culmination of the journey. It's an important step on it, but it's not the culmination. There's still all that stuff Jesus said about the cross, about the path of life leading through death in order to overcome it. But the disciples weren't listening. And they don't listen here either. They think that maybe now they're going to be able to build the church up there in glory, above the fray, avoiding the way of the cross. But as Peter says this to Jesus, suddenly the bright cloud overshadows them and the voice says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. They hadn't been listening. Do we listen to God? Do we hear the promises of Jesus Christ with open ears or do we tell ourselves that whatever it means has to somehow rest in easy conformity with what we already think we know? Even when Jesus goes to the cross, the disciples still haven't listened. They abandon him. They see him arrested and put on a cross and laid in the tomb. And I think it's the end. That's the final, the final chapter, and they scatter in fear. Yeah, but Jesus doesn't abandon them. He doesn't abandon them on the mountaintop. He comes to them, and he touches them, and he says, get up, arise, do not be afraid. And he doesn't abandon them after the cross. He appears to them. He shows them the pieces that they had been lacking so that everything that they've seen up to that point suddenly comes into clear relief and finds its proper meaning. And he gives them the Holy Spirit so that they can take up their cross and walk the way of life following him. If it weren't for the fact that Jesus does not abandon us, I think every faith journey would probably end poorly. But Jesus doesn't abandon us. He comes and he says, arise, get up. Do not be afraid. And if we fall a thousand times, he comes back with more light and truth to give. And so, as we end the season of Epiphany and we begin the season of Lent, the season when we remember to bear the cross, to have the courage to follow Christ, we have to remember not only the the sorrow that that may entail, but the glory that goes beyond it. It was for the sake of the glory set before him that Christ endured the cross, despising its shame. It's not a path of death and uh, a way for people who are just gluttons for punishment, you know? It's a way of life and glory. And we know this because the glory of God is here and can do all things. Amen.
6: We now come to a time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer either by remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, lead me Lord. As we enter a time of prayerful reflection, please respond to the phrase, Hear us, O God, with your mercy is great. Holy God, your loving power is at work among us. Rouse and embolden your church that we too might be transfigured. Set a light in the world for the sake of the gospel. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Awesome God, you speak and the earth trembles. You display your majesty in the mountains and your mystery in the clouds. Grant that we discover your magnificence in all of your created world. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Ruler of nations, your reign extends across all human borders. Guide world leaders in justice and righteousness, that they may work for equity for all people and protect the world that you have made. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Gracious God, you are a refuge for all who are neglected and abused. Bring freedom to those who are oppressed and give comfort to those experiencing pain of any kind. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. God of Moses and Elijah, you made your dwelling place at the top of a mountain with Jesus and his disciples. Dwell also in this congregation that all who enter this community might be transformed by your dazzling brilliance. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Everlasting God, You offer eternal life to all your children. Thank you for the witness of those who lived and died in the faith. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Confident that you are able to accomplish more than we even dare to ask, we bring these prayers before you, believing in your saving grace revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.
7: Good morning, I am Chloe McLaughlin, and I serve as the Graduate Assistant for the Global Ministries Department here at Marsh. We are so pleased to welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel. We want to thank you for joining us as a part of our community worship today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or online via our live stream, or later via our podcast, please know that you are such a valued member of our community. For those, of us, for those of you joining us in the sanctuary this morning, we want to invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and for you to get to know one another better as well. This week at Marsh is going to be a busy one as we enter into the Lenten season together. On Monday, please join us for the ecumenical worship service here in the nave at 515, where we will be burying the hallelujahs. Following worship, all are invited to our weekly community dinner as well. On Tuesday, please join us for our annual Shrove Tuesday pancake dinner at 6 p.m. in the Marsh Room. Um, There will also be Mardi Gras beads and other celebratory items available during that time as well. On Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we will be offering Ashes on a drop-in basis from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. in the Thurman Room. The Ash Wednesday Ecumenical Services will be held at 8.30 a.m., 5.15 p.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. For the locations of those, please see your bulletin or online. Ashes will also be available in the medical school lobby from 12 to 2. Once again, we want to thank Bill Quartz for joining us this morning. Additionally, Bill will be offering a Lenten Bible study on Sundays from March through April 5th at 1230. So make sure to get in on that. The Bible study will examine Jesus' passion, the death, and resurrection with a focus on healing and health. So that's something to look forward to. Next week, we will be celebrating our monthly communion, but please note that there may be minor alterations in our communion format. For all other news and upcoming events, as well as to sign up to receive our daily Lenten devotionals, please visit the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, Lord, touch our hearts, God, with your love so that we may share our many resources with others. May your grace shown to us in Jesus Christ make us generous givers. Amen. we come to worship this day in anticipation, to hear the music, to be fed with the word, but most of all, to listen to your voice as it might speak to us in the silent moments. May your goodness and caring be affirmed in the gifts we give, and as worship comes to an end, may we hear Jesus' voice sending us out into the mission field, and may we listen and go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
5: Now may God grant you strength in your inner being with power through the Spirit, to know with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.